This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic and conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. It is the Batter Up Podcast, the 92.9 The Game and Radio.com exclusive. Will Pelagic, Willie P., along with Joe Patrick and Caleb Johnson. We are your Braves podcast for Radio.com and 92.9 The Game and your baseball home on the web and beyond. You can find us on the Radio.com app or wherever you get your podcasts. I say hello to my two cohorts. Hello, Joe Patrick. Willie P., what's going on, my brother? Well, well, and hello, Caleb Johnson, <laughs> my brother. <laughs> What's going on? Do we have I, do we have to start this way? Do we have to start I, this way? I, I feel like I have to get back in Will's good graces now that I uh, slandered his his name, yeah, his family. Right name. before we recorded this, Joe went on our station in Atlanta, ninety two nine, the game, and uh, butchered my my surname. So that <laughs> apparently he's trying to do things to get back in the in the good graces of me. Apparently, hey, I do it to Jeff Passan all the time. There you go. And uh, no better place to start than with Jeff Passan's reporting and with the reporting of Ken Rosenthal of The Athletic. For the first time in what seems like forever, or even in the history of this podcast, we actually have some concrete news to talk about. Major League Baseball's owners have put forth a proposal to the Players Union. Uh, They did so on Monday. Normally, when we do our podcasts, we have been doing them on Monday. We held off till uh, till Tuesday to record this. So as you're listening to it, remember, keep in mind, we did this Tuesday afternoon. So if any developments have come forth, uh, we'll try to get back and record you a fresh one of these. But as far as we're concerned right now, there's still no deal in place and a lot of consternation between the two sides. And Joe, you've been following this very extensively, as we all have been. But uh, the root of the problem, I think, sets with two different exact fashions. Number one, the way the money is split, and number two, the security and the health of the players, and and neither of which seems uh, either really secure or really known at this point how that all gets shaken out. Right. I'm first of all, I'm glad we waited the day to record this podcast because I feel like my mind has just been just racing thinking about all the different dynamics 
of this proposed deal. And there's kind of been some evolution of the news and that Tony Clark has come out and kind of said that it was what a, um, a non-starter the way that MLB uh, owners proposed this breakdown of a 50, 50 revenue split. I think it's really interesting to consider it all. We were all, you know, discussing it in our uh, group text yesterday. And then will, you just had to go drop the bomb (laughs) that the CBA expires in 2021, which is when I then asked if we were allowed to curse on this podcast, because (laughs) it just makes everything more complicated, right? Like, like having that backdrop on top of all of this other stuff, it puts everything in a much more tenuous spot because then like all of this negotiation is essentially with an eye toward what could happen in that 2021 negotiation, which is going to have more of a long-term impact, right? That's one that will last 10 years or so. So it makes this all very difficult. And I don't, from reading a lot of very smart people, people who know much more about this than I do, Jeff Passan being one of them, um, you know, he made the point that a 50-50 revenue split for the rest of this year might actually give players a slightly larger percent of the pie than a prorated salary system, which was agreed to prior. But over a, over a, a 10-year CBA, that would not be something that the players would want happening so they don't want to set that precedent that's that's kind of where i'm like now thinking about a lot of this is what precedents are the negotiations here and any agreement that they come to set for that 2021 negotiation that's coming down the pike i think that was the the big eye-opener to me yesterday was if if you're like me and just kind of confused at the, well, we're throwing out this one-year proposal, so let's not get ahead of ourselves. Let's be reasonable, especially if you're the players. Let's try to let's try to play the game the best that we can under the circumstances that we have. And you're thinking, well, this is just a one-year deal, so let's not overreact. And then, as as you were you were saying, Joe, Will pointed out to us that this the CBA is set to expire on December of 2021. So this is what's this is setting up what's going to be for the next six years, which makes a, a much bigger difference, especially when they're, you know, they're wanting to slip in things like the universal DH and, mm-hmm. and obviously this, the salary cap as, as the players association is looking at it. It, it makes me, turn big time skeptic and thinking you know maybe we were a little too anxious thinking we were going to get baseball going at the start of july maybe we should start pumping the brakes well i I loved joe's way of putting it on our group text last night when he says i don't like when mommy and daddy fight because (laughs) yeah (laughs) that basically is kind of the way this works and and the problem is I feel like with other unions, I think with the the NFL and the NBA, they work a lot more in concert. The NFL doesn't necessarily have as much of an agreeable union uh, to owner base like, say, the NBA does. They're probably more contentious, but I also think – I don't even think they would have tried to bungle it this way and have the owners come out with a proposal and then throw it in front of the players and have them look like the bad guy. This is basically a continuation of a long history of two groups that have not ever argued really or or collaborated in good faith. You have the owners who put forth their proposal. Their plan is basically, hey, take this deal, which on the surface looks equitable, 50-50 revenue split, for people who don't understand the way Major League Baseball season normally works, is a 
tremendous departure from the way things work. Basically, the way that it used to work is that your revenue and your salary was basically what you earned, and and the the players. Uh, didn't necessarily have themselves beholden to any type of cap. And the fact that there is a cap on the revenue this upcoming season, that is something that many have believed that is an effort to try and inject some parity into baseball, which has been missing over the balance of time that actually occurs in other sports like the NFL, the NBA, hockey, and in soccer. So that part of it, I think, is is really an opening of Pandora's box, something they want to avoid. And the other part of this, too, is the stuff that Sean Doolittle brought up, which he says, hey, look, we got, we're kind of putting ourselves in the line here. We're putting our necks in the line, and not just us, but our families. And they want to have certain securities put in place for the long-term effects if, say, one of these players gets in, infected with the virus or if it goes through a team or, or what is – the protocol in place if, say, a couple people on a team get infected, things of that nature. And before we even get into the baseball aspects of it, my my question to you guys is, is that do these particular pitfalls or barriers, does that prevent us from having a season in 2020? I, I've kind of been of the same mind uh, for most of this time, which is that I, I don't think that it will, at the end of the day, stop baseball. I, I think that there there's just I just think that there's too much on the line for both sides Agreed. and that a stoppage of play would be too much of a disaster. Like the 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 cost of a stoppage of play would outweigh the benefit for, I think, both sides uh, of the deal. So for that reason, I think that there there will be baseball. But I think there's definitely two conversations that we need to have today. One of them is about the financials of the de- of how the labor um, negotiation is going to work out. And one of them is the health. And that's what uh, Sean Doolittle talked about. And I think that it, it's kind of um, – it's uh, – I, don't know, I feel like Sean Doolittle kind of like alpha Tony Clark here because I think Sean Doolittle is taking the absolute right messaging in this negotiation from a public point of view, from a point of view of garnering public support saying, hey, before we even start talking about how much money we're all going to make, we need to figure out like how we're going to stay safe and healthy, keep our families safe, safe and healthy. And essentially what Tony Clark, the way that he's kind of framing the situation is that there's just like a money, there's a cost associated to that health and safety. Like we'll put ourselves on the line for a price, right? Like for what we want financially. And I think that that's the wrong tact kind of take here. And I talked to Darren Eels last week. We did a conference call with him and I asked him specifically about the testing, partially because we've been doing this podcast. We've been saying over and over again, that testing is going to be so important for all of these leagues to get back um, playing again, but specifically baseball. And he didn't really have an answer for it. He was like encouraged by the fact that testing in the United States is increasing and that there are subcommit there's a subcommittee i i guess um with people from all these different leagues MLS major league baseball NFL you know all these different organiza- sports organizations um to try to get with the federal government and ma- make sure there are tests available for them to use but there was still no specifics as to how those tests would be regimented what protocols would be in place for as sean doolittle said how do we prevent what are our prevention measures what are our containment measures if there is a player that tests positive because that will inevitably happen in both of these leagues i think like i I just have to think that somehow somebody would test positive and because of the way what we know about this virus 
it can transmit so easily, uh, it's going to be very important that you have those measures in place. Caleb, how long can this go to where it's not a detriment to baseball's public image? Oof, that's that's a tough question to to answer. As far as I think, if they're going to, if they've already kind of put out the date of July fourth that we're going to start back baseball, we're hoping to have an agreement by then. That date was kind of set because as this eighty-two game schedule that they're laying out would kind of wrap up around the same time, about a week or two after the normal Major League Baseball season ends. And so they were, they were trying to keep business as usual as as much as they can with that 82-game schedule. If we start pushing things further, having more disagreements beyond July 4th, then, then you, you start to have a huge image issue where it's just not feasible to see a season start. You get enough of an off-season and then go back into the 2021 season. Now, kind of getting back to something that the Joe was talking about with with the with Tony Clark for the Players Association coming out and saying one thing was the big issue, and then having Sean Doolittle, who's a pitcher, you know, just a member of this Players Association, kind of him being the one who's carrying the the health issues. It's it's really the players association and Tony Clark have really messed themselves up because the health issue should have been where the discussion started because now Mm -hmm. people in our business and just skeptics in general are saying, Oh, well you're only throwing the health issues out to cover up the money issues. And no, that's just stupid. Like just Mm -hmm. the fact that, you know, you have Darren Rovell who's, who's out there saying, you know, we're, the players take risks all the time so this is just the newest one just kind of put it on my tab of risks that i take it's like no if i break my foot sure that's a risk that i'm taking if i contract a a virus that i then pass on to my family that's a whole other issue that that we're really not giving enough attention to yeah, and Sean Doolittle, you know, his wife has asthma, so she would be someone who is more at risk of, you know, if she were to contract this through him or, or you know, well, I guess it would only be through him. But um, you can see why he in particular would have some some specific concerns about this. And I, I put it out there yesterday after the Tony Clark news uh, or after Tony Clark's statement kind of came out, and I said that it would be a bad look if this caused a stoppage of baseball, it would be a really bad look for players. Because if you get a stoppage of baseball, then you get a lots, lots of layoffs, not furloughs. You're getting full-on layoffs of, of employees that are paid by the hour with these ball clubs. All sorts of people from probably people who work in digital to communications. Like You would just see um, massive cost-cutting. And if it were down to uh, them not wanting to conform to a salary cap, uh, that would just be a bad look. But I think that if you if you take the stance of what Sean Doolittle was saying, I think that you find yourself in a much better in a much better place from a public perception standpoint. And and I think that you know, it's not just that it, it's like some fabricated thing that gets the public on board. It's a legitimate concern, and 
these issues need to be taken into account. And I just, <laughs> again, I just find like Tony Clark is getting alpha here that he's supposed to be representing the players. And I feel like the players are like taking matters into their own hands and making a much better argument for uh, their representation than he is. And it's sad that Tony Clark, like you're saying, Tony Clark is getting alpha by Rob Manfred. Rob Manfred, yeah. <laughs> who has been a disaster for the for the past, you know, with his whether it's handling of the Astros and the Red Sox, or, or just name an issue in the past six to nine months, and you can bank on it. Rob Manfred has has mishandled it in one way or another, and so it's just it, it's infuriating and also just kind of dumbfounding that Tony Clark with the Players Association, the players. This was their time to have the upper hand. They should have been the one proposing a plan or or some way to go about this, not the owners who always typically have the upper hand. I mean, whether it's, you know, reporters or whoever, uh, they're they're being fed information from the owners right now who are are having their face in the media, you know, they're positive, hey, we want America back, which means bringing sports back. And, of course, fans want that. And so if you come back as the players and you're like, oh, well, uh, you know, actually, this whole money issue is a really big problem, it's like, wow, how selfish are you? Well, I think we're all saying kind of the same thing. It's that Tony Clark is unfit to have the job of players' union <laughs> you representative and and president, and and the fact is, for the simple reason, most of the times with labor disputes, the sympathy usually falls on the players, and this is one of the rare opportunities. Even though my stance is that, as if, if I was the players, I would have a right to feel skeptical about. Major League Baseball and its owners not negotiating in good faith because they never have. Sure. So I I, I I have that belief, but I also had the belief that Major League Baseball did a very desperate thing by putting this out here. And again, by all accounts and by all the optics, you know, when you say things like 50-50 revenue split, that has the appearance of equality. That has the appearance of compromise. Mm-hmm. The baseball owners basically put forth a concession that they're going to lose money on whatever they would have made this upcoming season one way or another, but they're happy with the fact that it's any number above zero, and their stance is the players should feel the same way, but from the standpoint of the players, I see them also saying that, hey, we're the ones incurring the risk, not you, the people sitting in boxes. Yeah, you did make a good point earlier that I wanted to revisit, Will, which is that it's it's weird how in baseball there always seems to have been more friction between the players and the owners than in all these other sports. Like, they're the only ones, you know, they've had these, I guess in NHL it's been really bad, too. The NFL has um, had their issues, too, NFL, but, they, but they've but they never had a, a standpoint where they were going to have a season that was in jeopardy, at least in our lifetimes. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, obviously there was the 94 strike. There was in 2002, baseball again almost came to an end. It just seems like every time these negotiations come around, there's these really um, ardent lines that can't be crossed. I do think, it, and I also think you're right, that the owners are clearly making an attempt to get on the side of public opinion by putting this out there in the public. And it, that is a that is a material choice that they are making to do that. Um, and I don't think Tony Clark appreciates that, um, as I think he voiced yesterday. But um, 
tough. It, Guess what? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They they swung first, man. Right. I'm yeah. just saying they swung first. Well, and the I guess the thing is, and you had time to formulate a response to to come back at this and that was your response. It, it's just, you know, you, you're having to have like we said, you're having to have Sean Doolittle, one of your players, be the one to be like, actually, I'm concerned about something else, a much bigger <laughs> yeah, issue. Yeah. Uh, and, it, and it also, it creates something that, that we were talking in our, at our group chat yesterday, this argument of millionaires fighting billionaires. And the average consumer, the average person, isn't really interested in hearing that, that, that debate, that conversation, because it's like, oh, I mean, you're already making so much ridiculous money that you know that oh you're fighting over pennies essentially whereas you know me the the common person who's just trying to get back to my regular job is really struggling right now and i think that's a that's a it's a tough i understand how people can come off that way and and feel that way but then you have to realize you know if if you went to your regular job and they said hey actually we're going to just pay you substantially less and expect you to do the same amount of work, you'd have similar gripes and and have to go about, you know, defending yourself in that way. So it it's tough when the when the money gets multiplied to such mass amounts where people get the dollar signs in their eyes and they don't know how to differentiate the the discussion that's happening. Isn't I do think we're in a un, a unique situation with the context of this pandemic with regards to the millionaires versus billionaires because a lot of people like a lot like maybe a majority of the country have actually seen their own wages cut and, yeah. you know because of their own workplace issues and of course you it, you can't really compare everybody's workplace to major league baseball but I think that everybody now kind of um, feels a different feeling than they might otherwise if if they weren't like feeling like they, they understood the impact that was that the that the players were going through right now i do think that the framing of millionaires versus billionaires is not like the best made with the best faith in mind and i think that it's like some it's like a it's a it's a very sports talky talking point sure. that's like you can it like adds fuel to the fire and it's spicy and it's good to talk about but you know a a billionaire sure yeah right like the owners of baseball teams certainly have a lot of money but baseball teams are also businesses that employ lots of people and if you are going to or if you're willing to stop play for uh the fact that you don't want a salary cap for example um you might be doing that at the cost of a lot of people uh, of employees that work for the club who are then going to get laid off because of that stance that you're taking. So I think that just framing it as like, oh, it's these big bad billionaires who don't want to hand their money over to the millionaires. I think that that like de-nuances, that's not a word, but I think everybody knows what I mean. Like the, the conversation here, because it's just much more complex than stingy owners not wanting to hand over money and, and in the case of um in the case of the braves for example it's not even like you have one single owner who would even have that control you know like you have a chairman terry mcgurk who's running it on running the braves on behalf of you know a larger corporation and it's gross to kind of think about <laughs> that way like we wish it wasn't that way but at the end of the day you know as they always say sports is a business and oftentimes it's not really 
made with the connotation that you're going to be losing money or that things are going to be cut. Um, but this is the situation we're in right now. And I just think that the, the millionaires versus billionaires dismisses a lot um, more specific things that can that need to be taken into account which one of you was it on the last podcast who said they longed for the days when you could actually see the owner in the stands yeah. like, <laughs> yeah. was that was that you caleb, caleb. that was me yeah. yeah because that was the days when and, when and you, you would have see. never thought that in the moment because no ted turner had a, ted turner had a a very uh adversarial relationship sure with the fan base yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. But the fact that that you could look at one person and know, okay, that's that's who we're dealing with here, versus a corporation who can can hide behind a label, and you don't know exactly what's going on. Now, for some of the teams who do have owners, it is, uh, I think, something that that us regular folk don't often do is realize. How did these billionaires who own these teams, how did they make their money? One of the, the big things that's going on right now, and I, and I know is especially going on in the NBA with the Houston Rockets, is their owner is not only in the NBA, but he's also in a bunch of like live events and... and Casinos. Th- yeah, and all things mm. that have been shut down right now. So like he for one, and, and I'm sure this is going on if I were to look up within Major League Baseball... But he's in other enterprises that aren't making money right now, so he's losing money on all ends. And I, and I think that's another thing that that we're we're maybe not giving the the consideration to is you know Major League Baseball owners are they're looking for a, for a revenue stream to come back because maybe some of their others are also being hit big time. And I could be I could be wrong about this, but. I'm kind of of the understanding that owners are going to be losing money net. Yeah, sure. Oh, yeah. Regardless of what happens. They're just trying to lose less. They're trying to mitigate. (laughs) They're trying to mitigate. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, here's the other part, and I'm glad you brought that up, Joe, because that that also transfers some to the the players as well, because I remember this discussion happening when the NFL labor negotiations for their new CBA were going on, is that you had a lot of the rank-and-file players kind of speaking up and speaking out and saying, look – us playing an extra game gets me into the game check that I need. And there was talk about players on the top end eventually losing money long term because their uh, earnings would be capped because of the addition of an, of an additional game. I almost think the same dynamic can play out here in baseball where you have certain players who are either uh, still under team control or have very little control over where their salary is that say, hey, look, you know, I have a salary that's set in set in place. I'm going to be making this whether I like it or not. I need to get back on the field. I can't afford to get to a point where we're missing paychecks. Yeah, so MLB, the owners had already agreed with the players that they were setting $170 million aside. If there is no season, the team still get that $170 million. And that's really not that much. Say, that's less than what you could make with like, you when you had a season, right? That's like uh, it's like just over. It's like between five and six million dollars per team. Like it's not a lot of money. Split uh, split so, forty ways. I'm I'm guessing too because of the forty man roster. Yeah. True. Yeah. 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 So it's really not a lot of money. And you're right. Like these guys need to to earn you know earn the paychecks. I don't mean that to say like you know earn 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 your earn your money, but like you know they they want to get back on the field and and get those paychecks and. 
you know, just because I somebody earlier today on Twitter, this was in regards to MLS, but he was talking about, oh, well, they make a hundred thousand dollars, so they're probably, you know, they're not, they're not that, um, they're not in that dire straits financially, and it's like, well, you know. A lot of people like, you know, maybe you don't make $100,000, you might make 50, but like people no matter how much money they make, they adjust their expenses and they kind of live on their means. So they might if they if they have a little bit of higher salary, they might buy a more expensive house and they have a they have a mortgage they have to pay on that or something. So they just have more costs associated as as they scale up and when you then all of a sudden take out some of that revenue, it's going to impact them. And so they will want to get back on the field. And it's something that I've been thinking about for a while is like, how easy will it be to organize all of these players to kind of be aligned with the same incentives and to kind of all be pulling in the same direction when it comes to negotiating this stuff? Because I imagine that like uh, somebody who's already made tens of millions of dollars, they probably have enough money where it's like they can afford a little bit of a cut. They can they can cut some things. They can sell their yacht or whatever, and they'll be fine. Um, But some of these other guys might not. And it's just going to be very interesting, especially when it comes to players, like you said, Will, who are either, you know, uh, heading into an arbitration year, heading into their first year of free agency. Uh, you know, it's going to impact so many things. And I think regardless of whether there's a season or not, there's going to be some level of deflation where teams just aren't going to have as much money as they would have had in prior years. So you're going to see smaller contracts. But um, it's going to be interesting to see if these players can kind of all get on the same page behind Tony Clark or if Tony Clark maybe, you know, changes his messaging a bit. I have a question for both of you guys that, because we, we've gone on, we, you know, discussing the, the money aspect big time, kind of got into the health aspect a little bit, but there's just, there there's a question that I keep coming back to every time I reason in my head, okay, if they can work this out, they'll get back playing. At what point does the discussion about the health and what what Major League Baseball can do, how, how do we get back to playing safely? Where everyone is comfortable. Time. Well, so I think it's a time I mean, thing. Might, honestly. So does that July Fourth date stand, or does that just completely get obliterated because it it won't be safe? I've always been more of an optimist on on the health front than a lot of people. Um, <laughs> I kind of feel like in the news, a lot of the bad things get amplified. Sure, the bad sure. News things yeah. get amplified, and because, a lot of the because because fear news- sells, Joe. That's right? Why. Yeah, yeah. Um, and you know, I thought it was interesting the antibody test that came back. Uh, MLB was involved with a study done by a, re- a Stanford researcher that um, studied anti- was looking for antibodies in a bunch of Major League Baseball employees. So that ranges from uh, players, players' families personnel who would work at a stadium you know just a wide uh, array and i think almost every team was involved i think like all but two teams so you got a pretty wide um uh spread there and only 0.7 percent came back as positive which was way lower than almost any other antibody tests that have been done a lot of a lot of the antibody tests come back and it's like whoa we have way more people had covid than we than we initially thought or were, were you know confirmed cases and so at the time, I remember thinking like, oh, man, that's a bummer because 
a lot less people have immunity it means you're you know you're more exposed to if somebody gets it then you know like i said nobody has immunity so it could proliferate a little bit more um but now i'm sort of thinking like well maybe that means that these players are like you know preventative measures would actually work if like none of these players are getting it of course they haven't been involved with playing and they would be exposing themselves more once the season opens up than they are now but i still feel like it's it it, it you could potentially see it as a good sign and I, I hate to say it that way and i hate to point this out too but when you think about a, a, a huge uh, plurality of these cases that we're seeing across the united states are happening in places where people are confined in closed spaces so nursing homes prisons meatpacking facilities have, have recently started to be a big um kind of hot spot for these things and and, and 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 but specifically even more broadly it's it seems to be affecting poorer people that don't have resources to protect themselves and major league baseball would have is the opposite. They would have tons of resources and measures they can put in place to try to protect themselves. So I think like when you take all that stuff into account, it makes me feel a little bit more optimistic that they would be able to create a safe way to pull it off. I'm not a doctor, so I don't like, I couldn't tell you like exactly what they need to do. Obviously testing is going to be a big part of that, but I am just optimistic about it. Before we get to how this affects the Braves on the field, because there's certainly that element as well, how do you guys ultimately think this plays out? I think this this gets uglier before it gets better, but I do ultimately think, like Joe said, that they do come to some sort of agreement, but I do think that there is going to be some ugly PR play out, and like you said earlier, Joe, with an eye to the future after the 2021 season ends, this will be a precursor to some very ugly negotiations that take place to try and uh, help us get a 2022 season up off the ground. Yeah, you know, like I said, I, I, I think that the game will happen. I think the season will happen. Maybe it gets delayed a little bit on the timeline that they initially want here, which is a mid-June spring training start and like a 4th of July or first week of July start to the season. Maybe it gets pushed back a little bit from that timeline, but I just think there's too much on the line and there's too many costs for both sides uh, for them to not come to an agreement here, but I agree with you that I think that this conversation is going to morph from, uh, I think they need to take care of the health concerns. And, but I think that the conversation will start, we'll, we'll start talking about 2021 a lot more as this evolves. And we're going to understand, we're going, I think they'll, the players will start to clarify, uh, the financial part of this as we don't want to be setting, setting that precedent for the upcoming, um, negotiation, which will have a much longer-term impact. I think in order to get an agreement for this 2020 season, they're going to have to essentially set up the 2020 season and a framework for how the 2021 collective bargaining agreement yeah. is going to be. I think that's the only way you you get this thing passed. It's going to have to be very... You know, very hard lines in the sand drawn of we will allow this to happen this season, but we will not allow that to happen moving forward. Uh, I do think it it will require the owners to budge a little bit on a few things. Uh, and then you throw the whole minor league system into this and and that could mess with things, too. I, I, I still I stand on one thing that I guess 
I'm in that awkward place of I wouldn't be surprised if we have baseball on July 4th. I also wouldn't be surprised if we're, you know, having issues into August and September because they can't come to an agreement based on the fact of, uh, you know, we, we can figure it out with the players. We, we can figure out the money. I think the, the support staff is the ones who are, are really kind of being overlooked. And, and what you were saying earlier, Joe, about the fact of, yeah, it seems like this virus is hitting more impoverished areas. And, oh, I don't know, who's our security? Who's our, our you know, our EMTs? Who's our this and that, our food services? All of these kinds of things. These people are, are not very well off. You know, they're, they're average people who could be hit hard by the virus. And so how are they being protected? And, you know, not only how are they being protected, but then in a selfish way for the players, if they're going to be in contact with people who could have been in contact with the virus, then it gets passed along to the players and we have we have a, a much bigger problem. I... I guess my my hopefulness does point to the fact that we're seeing a lot of success in South Korea with with the Korean Baseball League. They, you know, just by some of the small things that they've implemented, the masks, the no spitting, uh, they are they are getting people's eyeballs, they are getting people's attention, and they are successful in having no fans in the stands and all of the little things that it seems like so far so good. And hopefully, I guess we can we can mimic that, and then that's how we get baseball. So uh, that was a very thorough discussion on it. And again, we'll continue to follow the developments. If anything happens over the course of the next couple of days that changes things, we'll certainly break in and give you more details on that. But from the strict on-the-field standpoint, it will be an 82-game schedule instead of the standard 162. There will be a mid-June spring training and then an early July opening day. Many suppose that it would be on the 4th of July. Uh, the postseason goes to 14 teams from 10. There will be games played in home stadiums where allowed with no fans to start the universal dh which we brought up and then games against only divisional and regional opponents so basically the nl east will play the nl east teams and also the al east teams and that will go basically throughout the american national league and the rosters will expand to as many as 30 active players with a 20-man taxi squad that will consist of minor league players and extra pitchers and things of that nature I think this sets the Braves up to be in the driver's seat and the catbird seat because we were dealing with a lot of questions at the end of spring training, boys, of more spots than we had players to fill those – I'm sorry, more players than spots, I should say, than the, the spots basically that were available. You had backlogs at certain positions, especially in the bullpen. And I think right now, if you're talking about expanded rosters, that sits right up for where the Braves are going to sit right now going into this 2020 season. Yeah, Terry McGurk had to go run his mouth though and get the Braves in a <laughs> yeah. uh, in a tougher in a tougher division than they would have been in the the contrived NLC. Couldn't just now. play the Cardinals I mean, and Cubs, Terry. Come on, man. <laughs> yeah. Now the Braves are going to be playing the the regular NL East plus the AL East, which is going to be no easy thing. But at least you know, at first I was like, oh, what the hell? But then I thought, you know, well, at least you know, all the other NL East teams also have to play the Rays and the, and the and travel the is mitigated and, too a little bit. 
Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm less concerned well, about that. And I'm, but, well, I'm, um, also, I, I, I'm also concerned, too, that you know, maybe New York and Toronto will basically have to play their games in Florida to start, so well, that also helps well, the travel yeah, for Toronto, us as well. Yeah, Toronto will only because of the fact of Canada has a very strict policy right now that if you go there, you have to self-quarantine for two weeks. Yeah. So there's absolutely no way that Toronto will be able to play in their home ballpark. I, I would assume that New York would want to play down in Florida just for the obvious optics of how many cases and deaths they have in New York, maybe not. Maybe they'll try to go through with you know with uh, with playing at home. I initially was very uh, was very optimistic. I, I guess of I, I was having a lot of confusion at first, and and Joe caught me on Twitter this past week <laughs> where I had this moment as I was like, "Wait, Terry McGurk, why are you running your mouth?" about you know wanting to like fight to stay in the east i think it's going to be a lot harder to go play in the central and then it was like wait no 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 no. we gotta we gotta play american league teams too so it was like wow okay yeah yeah. yeah. (laughs) you you throw you throw those al east teams in there and i guess the only thing you're hoping for is the fact that everybody is under uh, under the same odd circumstances and so i you'll you'll know earlier on if the braves have what it takes to to actually compete and dare i say maybe it'll make them a little more prepared for the postseason which is now going to be extended just on the simple fact of of having to having to face those really tough uh top al east teams yeah, I do think that the Braves are. I, I mean, I think that they have confidence in themselves that in this setup they could go out there and win the NL East again. They've done it back to back years when no one was predicting them to do so, and I think that probably again this year, if you were to ask pundits, I think that you would get a lot of pundits who would say, "Oh, the Nationals obviously they won the World Series. Phillies are going to bounce back and have a better year." Um, I, I still think the Braves would kind of consider themselves underdogs coming into something like this uh, but I do think that it would hurt them in the wild card standing like you know there is going to be a bunch of wild card slots that are handed out and I think that other teams will have it much easier to just rack up a better record um, not having to play the AL East I think that you know it's going to kind of hamper uh, kind of handcuff a lot of these uh, you know all, all these contenders that we we're talking about in the NL East and I should throw the Mets in there too they've really um, upgraded a lot as well so you know, I think it'll be fun, and I think that you're right. Like, the Braves had, I, I referred to it on the radio, champagne problems with the fact that they've got, like, Johan Camargo was tearing it up in spring training, and Austin Riley was as well. How are you going to get both those guys at bats? DH, boom, perfect. Like, that just, like, it kind of, like, solves a lot of those issues. And plus, you already had a glut of outfielders where you've got Nick Marcakis, Ender Enciarte, um, Adam Duvall, guys that were going to, you, you kind of didn't have room for all those guys. I thought they were going to end up trading or putting one of them on waivers and now if you have the expanded rosters first of all you don't have to do that and you've got just more options you've got you know a guy that you can rotate in give some guys a blow uh if you're playing more double headers on the schedule i just think you have a lot more flexibility and i think that the braves are yeah set up set up well for the way that the the season is actually shaping up if it happens and you can keep guys on that taxi squad you know guys like kyle wright who you know may or may not have made Mm -hmm. the opening day roster based on you know the way things worked and and you know we, we talked a lot about you know how Cole Hamels fits in how Felix Hernandez fits in there there were a lot of variables that 
get answered with an expanded roster, and and there aren't that many teams that have the kind of surplus that the Braves had. I mean, I think a lot of a lot of teams with a couple of weeks left um, in the season had some some real concrete cuts made. They kind of knew what direction they were going in. I think the Braves were in a very rare spot where they were going to have to make some very tough decisions personnel-wise with certain players. And, and I think we also talked about this a little bit Um with regards to just how a season would occur. Uh, I'm wondering what kind of structure would happen with a trade deadline or, or how even active that would be if that does come to pass and we do have a season. Uh, I'm wondering what type of moves would be made, if any, down the stretch of a season that's limited as much as this one is. Yeah, I don't foresee many trades this season. I just think that teams, the future is uncertain. We've already talked about all the uncertainty, not just with next season, when next season might start, but then obviously going forward with the CBA. Um, and you've just, it's just a difficult kind of environment right now to do a lot of um, tweaking. And, and teams already had a chance to kind of do a lot of that before spring training started. But there's there's like the Braves were beneficiaries last year. At the ends of spring training, there's lots of like little moves that are made where you can like get bring on a guy like a Matt Joyce or a Josh Tomlin and they can be a really, you know, maybe not a key player for you, but they can definitely serve a role for you on the Major League Ball Club. And I think you're will probably be less likely to see a lot of that. And I don't think that, you know, because the season is so weird. Uh, I, I think that teams will be wary of trying to really pinpoint a market value for some key players that they might feel like are um, a good player that they might want to trade for prospects or whatever. I just don't foresee a lot of that happening this year. And I think that teams are kind of just going to just go about with what they got and see who's got the best ball club because, and I, and I also think that there's going to be, an asterisk to an extent of whoever wins this season, it'll be like, oh yeah, remember the, let's say it's the Braves when it's like, oh man, the Braves, they won that crazy season, you know, like, you're like that weird season, but like it'll it would all, it'll always to me be looked at differently than just like winning a regular World Series. When it comes to trades, I believe all it takes is one team, all it takes is one general manager to go, hmm, everybody else is sitting back maybe I'll be the one to step out and make a move or general managers who will take this time to, to say, Hey, maybe I can offload some guys that normally I wouldn't have been able to and set my team up for the future. I, I'm very much in the camp of, I think general managers and owners are going to be sneaky. If we do get a season and, and seeing what they can test out, seeing what they can try out. And Joe, you you brought up a big thing that I I think I have been on one side of the fence for a while, and I got bored this past week, and I did some research just because I was interested in this whole idea, and it was really it was uh, it was working an overnight producing shift where I was listening to a guy ask the question of will there be an asterisk on the season? Ah, uh, okay, and. Then he revisited something that that piqued my interest. The 1981 season had a player strike. It was yes. it was split into two. They ended up having to do some really tricky things where they took the the winners from the first half of the season and had winners from the second half of the season and created a a, div, huh. a divisional series. 
right which didn't exist at the time had some wild cards did did different things formulating the playoffs in order to deal with the fact that they didn't have a normal season and the Dodgers won the 1981 World Series and we don't look at them as any less of a champion than we do any other team even though they had to deal with much different circumstances and not a full season and it was weird and they kind of made up some rules in order to make it work and I was like huh that sounds a lot like what we're doing in 2020 I think the difference is the Dodgers at that time were seen as a perennial team they were seen as a really talented team it didn't really shock anyone that that they won the World Series. I, I guess it's one of those we've seen teams before make runs like the Nationals did last year, whereas the Nationals were not in any way expected to win the World Series, but they made a run at the right time, and they won it. That happens a lot in baseball. I think this season, if we get someone who we consider a legitimate champion, a, a legitimate option to win the World Series, we'll take it seriously even though we'll understand that that there was obviously some strange things that happened. But if we do get like a Nationals team to come in and just make a run at the right time based on the weird circumstances, then initially we'll probably look at it as, oh, well, it doesn't really count. A little skeptical. Yeah, there's there's an asterisk there. But time heals everything. And and in 20 years, we're probably... Well, you know, someone else is having the discussion of, oh, yeah, I mean, they won the World Series in 2020. It was fine. So that 81 year was very peculiar because the Orioles had the second best composite record in the American League, but the Brewers won the second half and the Yankees won the first half. So even though the Orioles had one game better record than the Yankees for the whole season, it was the Yankees and the Brewers who basically met up uh, in the American League Championship Series. And the Cardinals in the National League had the best record in all of baseball by percentage points over the Expos because the Expos had played more games, yet they didn't go because of the fact that, again, uh, there was the issue involving of uh, the two teams in the first half. So because of that, there were uh, there were issues there involving the uh, the first half and the second half record. The, the the part of this though that I find very interesting from baseball's standpoint is just will there be enough of a representative type of schedule with only playing teams inside your region? How will that? be looked at differently by history because of the fact that we have such an abnormal look at this and also you mentioned the the fact that the wheeling and dealing i'm wondering if nl teams will be more apt to deal for bats at a proverbial trade deadline because they will not had the dh to use in previous years going into a postseason at least over the full breadth of a postseason yeah, maybe. Uh, that's a really interesting story. I did not know about that about nineteen. I didn't either because I wasn't bored. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, same, same here, same here. We need to get Giants fans to like uh, start coming at Dodgers fans like the way that people attack Alabama, like for the, like the, all the national championships that they claim. Yeah. You know, like uh, well, that's, same, a, that's a half the, a World Series. The, the the Reds had the same issue in the NL West. They had more wins than anybody else, but the two teams that went to the NL West Division Series, if you will, were the Dodgers and the Astros at the time because. They yeah. were the two first and second half winners. It's very fast. A bunch of teams got screwed out of that postseason. 
it's kind of funny. It's like they're taking a page out of uh, this is what they do in um, a version of this in, in Mexican soccer. It's like they have the what's called the apertura and the clausura, like the opening and the closing. It's like two seasons essentially, and then at the end they'll have like they'll have a winner of each, and then yeah, then they'll have like a a, ch- a playoff at the end. But uh, yeah, that's fascinating. Um, but yeah, I, I don't. Yeah, I, I don't think that people really look back at the schedule. Like, I, I think that it's pretty. It's pretty balanced, uh, yeah, as much as you can have it be across eighty-two games. Like the 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 sheer amount of games that you're playing means that you're going to be limited somehow in how many uh, teams you could you could play. Um, and I think when it comes to the asterisk uh, conversation, I think it. I think they actually it'll be like in like the short to medium term. People might think about it, but sure. then after a while, there will just be that pennant that's hanging up there in their stadium, and it, like people won't really think about it. Players are still going to get rings. There's still going to be T-shirts yeah. made and hats made, and like you know, like we were saying, in, in 20, 30 years, people will will forget and. If it's your team that won it, you will take it just as seriously as any other time. Yeah, and even when the Braves won their World Series, like that was a quirky sure. season, and and mm-hmm. you know it's funny because when they won it, I was a kid and I didn't understand the the labor dynamics that were involved with that season, and I never took it any differently than like, hey, they did, they're they're they won the World Series, and I guess and I didn't even learn till later uh, that a lot of people didn't like thought that it was tainted in some way like oh really i've never looked at it like that have you guys watched any of the korean baseball i have i've yet to watch a full game caleb's had more time to watch it he's up in the middle of the night getting into rabbit holes on 1981 baseball and (laughs) i really have i've i've well i won't say unfortunately i've been very fortunate to 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 be able to work and and do some late night things uh which has given me the opportunity to watch some Korean baseball. And I have to say I'm a little bit ashamed of myself because I I take I took a lot of consideration into trying to decide what team I was going to root for. And after looking into teams and their history and things of that nature, and also there was a tweet. I'm trying to remember the guy who made the tweet, but he gave reasoning as to comparing Korean baseball teams to professional baseball teams here in America and he compared the Samsung Lions to the Atlanta Braves and so I was like okay and and it made sense and so I was like I am I am putting my allegiance with the Samsung Lions and then I watched the Samsung Lions and my goodness I can't take cheering for a Korean baseball team that isn't very good I, I, I just can't do it. Like if I, I if I'm going to watch Korean baseball, I I'm going to root for a winner. I'm sorry, I'm going to be yeah. a bandwagoner. And I watched. I, I think I've watched four games now, and two of them were Samsung Lions games, and two of them were NC Dinos. And I'm sorry, the Dinos are just more fun. So that's where that's where my allegiance is now shifting. How it's really hard if you're it's really hard if you're just like picking a baseball t- like in this complete vacuum of an environment and like you're just watching this team get shelled you know it's well, like it was oh, funny. Yeah, that's tough to fruit for it was, it, I think Joe and I have a very similar experience with this but in a different sense like when you and I I'm sure both first started watching Premier League soccer I'm sure you mm-hmm. you watched yeah, oh, yeah. you watched for a time and then you kind of took a survey mm-hmm. of the land and then you end up choosing a team and you and I both have the same allegiance to a a European soccer team and it's uh it's maddening because once you feel like you're invested it uh 
it gets kind of annoying when it doesn't work out your way because it's like, oh, I've only been rooting for this team for a certain amount of time. I could have chosen differently. Yeah. Well, uh, what I what I've really found interesting about the whole process of uh, uh, picking a, a European soccer team is that it all comes down to how much time you invest. You then go on to invest in watching it. If you invest a lot, you can have literally no connection, no like physical connection to the place or the team or whatever. But if you're spending your time watching that team, you're going to find yourself invested. And um, it just comes down to, can you actually find an attachment that brings you to be willing to invest that time? And maybe in Caleb's case, where it's like he's just in the studio and there's not really a whole lot else going on other than to watch a game, maybe maybe Caleb will get sucked in. I've just more been watching the highlights on Twitter and stuff. I, did you guys see that crazy foul ball that happened? That where like the guy hit it off the end of his bat. Oh yeah, and it went the, the out crazy of crazy angle. It went foul. Yeah, yeah, the crazy. It went foul. A lot of English. The, uh, yeah, down first base and it spun. Like I feel like something like that only happens in like Korea baseball. Yeah, I I somehow missed Greasy that. baseballs or something. Yeah, I've I've seen the all of the bat flips have been so much fun to watch. Oh yeah. Also seeing uh, Preston Tucker, who yes. I totally did not realize had left Major League Baseball to go play over in Korea, and the night that I had his game on, hit two home runs against, I, be- I believe it was against the Lions, that he that he had two home runs in that game. He's playing for Kia. Yes, uh, my the, Kia Tigers. Yeah. So, and I, it was just, it was cool. I was like, hey, he used to be a Brave. Like, I remember, yeah. I remember seeing him in Gwinnett when I went to go see, uh, uh, at that time, Gwinnett Braves game. But, yeah, it's it's funny that you guys, you're you know, talking about the Korean Baseball League, shifting it over to Premier League. Those are two where I didn't have the, the regional connection to a team, so I just had to completely blindly pick a squad. And I, mm. I now understand why people from across the pond and in other countries come over here and then just latch on to the Yankees because it is that it's who is able to to catch your attention with their marketing techniques and just their their overall out who's 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 entertaining you yeah right? you know well and but not it's not always necessarily who's entertaining you you know maybe who's who's consistently winning but also who's able to to get their logo or their their team merchandise and your face. That was when I when I first started watching mm-hmm. Premier League. It was Manchester United, who I just saw everywhere, and I was like, okay, cool, like I'll jump on with this. But as soon as they started playing poorly, I was like, oh no 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 no! If I've got to yeah, pick yeah. my team, I am certainly not going to suffer with a team like I maybe have to do regionally based on where I was, you know, where I was born and raised and decided to pick my my teams domestically within the United States. Yeah, I just I, I want a winner. Well, you're you're not a masochist like <laughs> no. Or, no. Uh, speak for yourself, Joseph. Yeah. I <laughs> I sat in a Charleston bar watching the Champions League final last year. I thank you. That was not fun. Hey. It <laughs> was not fun at all. Uh I also like uh you, you mentioned people who you'd forgotten existed. The uh, pitcher on the KT Wiz, the old uh, San Francisco, or I'm sorry, the old San Diego Padre, Odriasmer de Spagne, that guy. He still exists. Cool. <laughs> Glad you know him. Sorry, doesn't name, name doesn't ring a bell. I, I remember watching a couple of late night Braves games and seeing him pitch against uh, against Atlanta when he was a Padre. It, some of some of those some of those insomnia spent nights <laughs> over the. Uh, 
over summers gone by. Well, we had a lot of fun. Uh, I hope it was informative for you guys. Uh, and again, if there's anything else happens between now and the next time we are scheduled to record, uh, we will give you the latest on the Major League Baseball negotiations, the labor negotiations between the owners and the players and whether or not we get baseball in 2020 and when we get baseball in 2020. For Joe Patrick and Caleb Johnson, I'm Will Pelagic. Remember, you can tweet us. I'm at Willie P. Style. Caleb is at ATL Johnson 18. Joe Patrick is at JA Patrick 200 for a little while longer until we guilt him into changing it. <laughs> Joey Balls. <laughs> <laughs> we're gonna we're gonna keep him uh, keep him honest with that, and remember also to subscribe to the podcast if you haven't already on the radio.com app and download the radio.com app, or you can download the podcast wherever you get your podcasts. And thank you for listening to Batter Up, a ninety-two-nine The Game and Radio.com exclusive. Okay, picture this: it's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.